When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, welcome everybody to. Rewind to Raw. I am John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. And Wei, how are you doing? Doing all right, John. Yeah. We're, uh, you know, a little tired coming off of a sandwich here, this Raw between two Wrestle Kingdoms, but I'm pretty good otherwise. Well, we are going to dive right into things. Uh, there's a handful of news items uh, I do want to get to, but off the top, uh, this is our first Rewind to Raw where we're going live for our patrons way. Yeah, for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons to be exact. Yes, so, uh, yeah, you know, just something we're, we're, we've we're been doing for a while now for SmackDown, and uh, just wanted to extend it to Raw and Dynamite as well. So uh, if you're a patron who has decided to upgrade to our second, third, and fourth tiers, you have access to this every Monday and Wednesday, along with every Friday, of course, as usual, which is uh, available to all patrons. And then, of course, our pay-per-view post shows as well. So uh, it's the beginning of the month. If you sign up right now, you get access to both Wrestle Kingdom post shows and all the other bonuses that are to come this month, as well as an archive right now of over 400 bonus podcasts. So uh, plenty to choose from, all for $6 a month at postwrestlingcafe.com. Yes, so that is uh, Wrestle Kingdom Night 2. That post show will be up uh, Tuesday, probably mid-afternoon. We will have that show up going through the, the second night. And then Wednesday, we'll be back with Rewind to Dynamite. Uh, Brandon Davey will have Up Next coming uh, their way. And Wednesday, we can go over the schedule for the remainder of the week. There's quite a lot uh, coming up over the next week. But a great time to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe. And yes, Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso patrons will have access to Rewind to Raw and Rewind to Dynamite live each and every Monday and Wednesday night, 15 minutes after the show concludes. Let's move over to... Uh, a couple news items, and we're just going to run through these. Uh, I guess the, uh, this just came out right before Raw tonight that uh, Ring of Honor has announced that they have mutually parted ways with Marty Skrull, and that is all that they have uh, released detail-wise. There was nothing beyond that. Um, I'm sure that they will be asked uh, follow-up questions uh, at some point da- down the road, but uh, in a nutshell, uh, Marty Skrull was one of many people named in the speaking out accusations uh, back in June. And when you're looking at who held, um, you know, a powerful pr- position in terms of, you know, he signed with Ring of Honor last year, that that extension and was going to be booking along with Delirious. Um, Marty Skrull was probably like the most prominent uh person name just in terms of like his his booking role not to mention like he was going to be an an integral part for ring of honor in 2020 uh so he was removed by roh when the accusations came out these were made by uh, a woman who stated that she had been uh she claimed that she had been taken advantage of while she was uh drunk when she was 16 uh with marty Skrull, and marty Skrull acknowledged that there uh he was uh, involved with this, but said that he, it was his belief that it was consensual. Uh, he also pointed out that it was legal uh, because the age of consent in the UK is 16. Uh, but where they are, where he disputed it was 
her say, stating it was not uh, consensual. So that was the case that ROH was presented with, and they were very quiet about it this year. They stated that there was an investigation ongoing, and that was it. Marty Squirrel has not appeared since, and then today announcing that they are parting ways. So that's where things stand now with Marty Squirrel, that there is an end. Again, the wording was uh, mutually parting ways. So um, whether that was that finally a decision was made on the administration end, or if it was maybe Marty Squirrel saying, if you're not going to use me, I want out. We don't know the answer to uh, that question about what led to the decision being made now, um, uh, several months removed from this. AEW and NXT ratings from last Wednesday. These were definitely uh, unique episodes. I don't think uh, certainly Wednesday shows were not about the the ratings, specifically uh, Dynamite, but they they were fourth for the night on cable, doing a, a .40 in the demo, 977,000 viewers, um, up significantly with, with women 18 to 49, uh, with men 18 to 49 a- as well, and... They were going against a big college football game, as was NXT. And I would say NXT um, really got hit because, you know, it was a night where I would say even if you were uh, a loyalist to NXT, you would probably be tuning into Dynamite. On top of that, there was this big college game. So NXT did 586,000 viewers, which would be their lowest viewership average since the first week of the shutdown, the first empty arena NXT back in March, and doing a .12 in the 18-49 to 49 demo, which would be their lowest demo performance thus far. Uh, I, I don't read a whole lot into that given the unique circumstances, and I think NXT is going to come out with a pretty solid number this week given the buildup for New Year's Evil that is being promoted as a takeover event, and Dynamite's coming back with a big show as well with uh, Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix. So I'm interested to see how well both shows do uh, with, you know, we, we sometimes see like one show goes, goes big for a week and the other one, yeah, sometimes NXT does not counter vice versa. This is both with pretty significant shows, I would say. Oh yeah. It's a big week for the Wednesday night wars. And uh, like you said, I, I don't really look at last week as too much of an indicator of, you know, how well either show will do this week. I think it's a completely different kind of playing field. Uh, last week, it's a very different playing field this week as well. So expecting good numbers. I, I will say, you know, I think what we can um, get from last week's in, in numbers is just exactly what the ceiling might be for a dynamite. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to hard to really kind of call last week's show like, you know, any sort of like concerted effort, of course. To But it is like uh, it was a show with probably the most interest of any dynamite that they've ever had. It was such a gigantic story um, that, I mean, uh, you know, like we we sometimes see where, you know, sadly, like wrestlers passing away, it's not necessarily a a rarity. It's it's more it's more rare than it was, um, you know, several years back. But this was one that just seemed like it was it was covered very significantly. Like this was a, a pretty big story and people knew that Wednesday was going to be an entire episode dedicated to that. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, like if if you are to at least look at the statistics of it all, do you think that, you know, um, that any show that they can put on can kind of squeeze past that one million mark or at least um, regularly? I think that where AEW, like, like the the million mark is, you know, it's 
it represents something. I, I think that, you know, you look at that 18 to 49 number, I think like they go hand in hand. Like, how do you grow those? What we do know, and this was, again, that that tremendous interview that Brandon Thurston did with Chris Harrington gave you a lot of insight into this is like their DVR viewership that typically like they will get like 30% of people will be watching on DVR. So the question is how these are people that are watching your show. They're They're going to the... Uh, effort of recording it every week, what would turn those uh, taped viewers into live viewers? So that that to me would be the audience that you're trying to push to make your show feel as immediate as possible that you'd have more people tuning in uh, that night as opposed to, um, you know, getting, you know, a DVR viewer, which has its value. It's just le- less than a live viewer is going to represent for you. Mm-hmm. And that would take them well over a million if you can get more of that audience. And I think doing things like every now and then you do a big appearance like a sting and, you know, you can't do it every week. But when you build up to a big show, you train your audience to, man, I want to see this happen live. I don't want to I, I don't want to read about that the next morning. And I missed that cool moment that uh, a big AEW Dynamite could provide. Uh, th- those are the kinds of uh ideas that i think spur people on to tune in live because they want to have that that live reaction uh just looking ahead to uh wednesday quickly uh the new year's evil lineup is finn balor kyle o'reilly for the nxt title carrying cross damian priest rhea ripley versus raquel gonzalez last woman standing tomaso champa versus timothy thatcher in a fight pit match and santos escobar versus grand metalik for the cruiserweight title on paper this looks amazing I don't know how it's going to fit into this two-hour window unless there is some uh, – like, th- th- this is going to be an interesting one to see how it is timed out. Sure, maybe, you know, some of those matches will probably go a bit shorter than you would expect. Um, but, yeah, uh, a lot of picture-in-picture, picture, I assume. And then Dynamite's got uh, Snoop Dogg appearing, Chris Jericho on commentary, uh, John Moxley returns – Hikaru Shida versus Abaddon for the women's title. Young Bucks and SCU against the Acclaimed and TH2. Jake Hager against Wardlow. Cody Rhodes against Matt Seidel. And then Kenny Omega versus Ray Phoenix. The new Road 2 episode is out. And there is a amazing promo from Don Callis in the, uh, like this, <laughs> this snowy field uh, that he says is in Winnipeg where it's minus 40. And he talks about (laughs) when Kenny Omega was a child trying his first Terminator dive and he points off into the distance. He did his first dive and he landed on his back and he was crying for help. And myself and the Sheik, we stood there, the Golden Sheik, and we wouldn't help him. We waited for an hour and a half as he cried and then he found the, the, the courage and strength from within to get up. And that's the difference between him and Ray Phoenix. Ray Phoenix has been coddled by Conan, by Pentagon, and Kenny Omega has been brought up in the hardened Winnipeg winter and learning that only you can help yourself. This was an amazing promo that he did. I imagine it's not too difficult to make something look like Winnipeg. This could have been, well, it wasn't Florida, I'll tell you. It was definitely not Florida. Um, For all I know, it could have been Winnipeg. It's very lots of snow. The most snow you're going to see. The, winter came in the, this road to episode. Hmm. Uh, did you happen to see being the elite today? No, not yet. Oh my god! They 
a lot. The first uh, couple of minutes, it was all backstage at the tribute show last week, and there is a speech that Eddie Kingston gave to the locker room, and it's unbelievable. I'm so glad they caught it on on camera. It's the most amazing speech. Cool. That sounds great. Um, I'll have to check that out. WWE also released a further uh, set of videos from their roster, a lot of them from SmackDown, talking about Brody Lee. You have, um, you know, people that I think um, might have spent a bit more time with him um, throughout his entire history, including Cesaro, Sami uh, Zayn, Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, um, Sarath Tan, um, Mikazi, the, uh, the mm-hmm. costume designer, who's uh, uh uh and then yeah yeah just incredibly touching as you know the the thoughts about oh man tamina snuka had like an incredibly touching kind of mm-hmm. little testimonial about her her history of, with Brody lee it was just uh you know the the, the incredible stories keep coming through and, and include some footage too of behind the scenes of uh of, of brody with his child as well so um highly recommend people check that out and then quickly here uh noah had a card today at a uh, core q and hall Actually, going in order here, Cora Q and Hall had uh, back-to-back shows uh, this morning. First, it was a uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro, and the most notable thing uh, on that show was in the main event, um, AEW's Yuka Sakazaki. She's been the Princess of Princess champion for that group uh, since November of last year. Uh, she dropped the title to uh, Rika Tetsumi in the main event, and then that show was followed by the Noah card, and the big surprise was in the main event, Hiroshi Hase, 59-year-old. Hiroshi Hase appeared and teamed up with Goshiozaki and Kaito Kiyomiya to defeat uh, Keiji Muto, Naomichi Marafuji, and Masato Tanaka. And it ended, it was a surprising end. Uh, I haven't seen the match, so I don't know how it came off, but Shiozaki pinned Muto. And what's strange about that is next month, those two are headlining Budokan Hall together with Shiozaki defending the GHC title against Muto. And you would think that the value of a Muto in 2021 would be, you know, the, the visual of Shiozaki beating him. And they did it here in this six man tag when you had other options. But anyway, I haven't seen the match yet, but uh, that was the, the notable appearance uh, from Hiroshi Hase uh, showing up uh, to make sure that Muto would not be the oldest man in the main event. Well, yeah. Contrast is everything, isn't it? Yes. Um, and they're probably not going to build up uh, Shiozaki and Mudo by Shiozaki telling Mudo that fighting you is like fighting my dad, mate. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll get to that. Uh, and then ABC has confirmed they're going to air the main card of the UFC Fight Night January 16th. That's a Saturday afternoon card at 3, headlined by Max Holloway and Kelvin Cater, which will also air on ESPN+. And Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker, has been added to UFC 256. Uh, or 257, rather, on January 23rd, underneath Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. And that is our news. Uh, We'll probably have much more news to discuss coming out of uh, night two of Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Before we go to Raw, any any thoughts further on night one way after we discussed earlier? Did you uh, decompress afterwards? Uh, Did you have any... What what is your lasting thought of night one? I thought it was a really... Good show. Uh, well, really solid show, um, top to bottom. I mean, even uh, some of the things that I don't think people are talking about that much. I don't think anything on the show was offensive. It's a really a six match show. Uh, don't watch the New Japan Rumble. Don't even count count it. And I think you'll have a great time. It was a very solid, very enjoyable show. Is it a Wrestle Kingdom worthy show comparable to previous years? You don't have the same atmosphere. 
but I think you still have the high quality of matches in particular with the last two matches. Those two, those two were outstanding. Like I, I could not complain about that show when you're getting those two matches. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, those two matches make the whole show and really kind of like make that night live up to the wrestle kingdom standard. So as long as you have any show involving those two matches, I think you will leave satisfied. So that, that, that might just be my, my ending thoughts. So that show is up for cafe members. If you want to go download it, it's about uh, 80 minutes of us going through night one of Wrestle Kingdom, and then we'll drop a show Tuesday uh, midday going through night two, which will be headlined by Kota Ibushi versus Jay White. But we are not talking about Kota Ibushi on the show. No, the first image of Raw in 2021 was a close-up of Hulk Hogan's iPhone. Oh, I'm sorry, the H-phone. And what apps can you use on the H phone? You can use Facebook. You can use Instagram. Uh, I there was definitely an opening, probably for a, for a joke here uh, of of Hulk Hogan of make sure you know you don't. It's got a camera on it. It's got a camera. <laughs> you can record on it. Yeah. Things can be stored there. And then he just did like this bizarre promo as he picked up his phone and just cut a promo into the camera. It was like the most odd start to Raw. He says, on this phone, you can make one call and you can only ask one question. And, you know, got into his whole what you're going to do thing. Um, This entire show, something's been happening. I mean, something's been going on for a long time with this company, but lately... Something has been happening where there's been a real effort to try to make pop culture references. And we've seen it in the form of like random, what was it? Uh, Beyonce? We, we had we had the Beyonce Sarah line. Jessica Parker, was that it? Tonight we had uh, Serena and Venus Williams uh, utilized for our pop culture reference. Joe uh, Rogan, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. And, we had um, Tori Wilson's promo tonight, name dropping. Yeah. Yeah, Cardi B, like it's it's weird shit like that, and and it's like they, I I understand like it might be some sort of effort to like try to I don't know skew younger to try to get people to like <laughs> to show that this is a hit product somehow, but they clearly have no idea how to organically integrate these kind of like references into natural sounding dialogue. I don't know what this was. It was Hulk Hogan, like it was a parody of an iPhone, and like. The parodies only go so far because, like, you can clearly tell the people don't even know what they're really parodying here. This is like, like, what was what was the joke here? This was a phone. Hulk Hogan was the joke. Clearly, yeah. But like beyond that, it's like it's 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 the word Hulk Hogan. It's like the Hulk Hogan logo on the screen of the phone. It's it can is is the punchline supposed to be that it can use like t- t- Instagram, Twitch, and I'm just trying to break this thing down. I have no I- idea what this was, but like, I don't know if this is something. I definitely know that this isn't something that'll even capture the 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 oldest forty nine year old. This is something that'll barely capture an eighty year old person. My mom might find might find this amusing, and I give her a bit more more credit than that. I should. So I I, I don't know what these are. Yeah, this was a show that I like. I gave the benefit of the doubt. Like, let's watch this show. But watching this, like, like they had no idea for it was just 
pile on these legends. Yes, we got we got an angle in the final couple of minutes of the show, which uh, w- w- was fine. But like the utilization tonight, it was just like, man, we are just trying to shoehorn these people into anything. Like we didn't even get the poker game way. Like there, there was literally like, dude, Tatanka flew here to go through all this. The dude just stood I, there. I'm sure Tatanka was grateful for. I'm sure he was too, but I'm saying from the other side of like, like what was the point of like any the of the point? These John was that they they saw the ratings go down, so they needed to do something, and so that idea was Legends Night. You have Legends Night, and then it's like, how many legends do we know, and that we haven't burnt out, you know, over over the course of like the past five years, whenever we've tried to go to this well, and um, this was the amount that they came up with. Realistically, it was like. The difference makers are what? Hogan, Flair, everybody else. It's like they just they couldn't even be that bothered to like do like the minimum amount of research about what these guys gimmicks were, what their backstory was. It was just like cram cram them into the shot so that we could say that they appeared on TV. Yes, you you fell you fell into the tears of either indifference, comedy or will humiliate you. So that you yeah. won't mean anything next time. Like they, it's, it almost felt like, okay, th- th- these legends have to get some comeuppance at some point on the show. Oh, yeah. Nope. They were just, that's the thing. It's that they will bring these legends back. And man, they just, if you were tuning in for nostalgia, boy, did they just make you feel sad by just running down these people so that they won't mean anything the next time either. And I mean, that is one thing that we can say with AEW is that they put their their legends on pedestals when they show up. And I think that's what the viewer wants. I think they want these people to be uh, celebrated. I mean, not to say you can't do angles with them. It's just it just felt like it was humiliation for the sake of humiliation. Like no response. Like that Mark Henry scene was the saddest thing on tonight's show. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all of that afterwards. But you know, you you think about like for instance, you know, something like, like you know, a Tony Schiavone coming out and talking to Sting and sort of all the warm, fuzzy feelings that an audience might get just from seeing that little bit of interaction or like having Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard interact, you know, for a, as little as they might have. It's um, these are things that like at least reference, you know, a prior history that exists between these these people. And, you know, unless you're, I guess, Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart, like there's really no thought put into like any of the uh, way. I, I think you're giving too much credit for what Hogan and Jimmy Hart did on this show. I suppose uh, at least the, the fair, the fact that they were tied together, but like, you know, I feel like it's almost like um, a philosophy that, Hey, if it didn't happen in the past year, no one's going to remember. So, but then they're drawing on these people to hopefully spike a number. Exactly. And, yeah. I don't know. And they'll get a little bump from, like, what they've been doing the last couple of months. Like, they're going to get a, you know, they had no football to go against tonight. They'll get a little bit of a spike. But it's not going to mean what the last Raw reunion did or two Raw reunions ago. This is a continual pattern. And you watch a show like this, the next Raw reunion is not going to be at the level of this one. It's it's an excuse to bring back, you know, Hogan and Flair. And then you're just kind of padding it out with everybody else. Your usual kind of roster. And I, I hate to sound like disrespectful. I, I I I respect all those people. I wish that they were treated with more respect on these shows. I wish like Molly Holly had like her own segment, you know, talking about like just 
I don't know her history with with for instance the twenty four the the hardcore championship maybe give her a run with the twenty four seven championship something like that besides just you know a little kind of on screen thing that barely mentions her name of the names that had been advertised in the commercial uh, that they had been airing uh, we had no no Kurt Angle no Beth Phoenix no Candice Michelle no Jacqueline no Carlito no Michael Hayes yeah that was weird so, didn't even think about that. So there were a bunch of the names that were at least shown in that commercial that they had been that they started airing two weeks ago. Um, just they were not on the show, but nor was it, was there room for anybody else. Like th- this is what they had; they didn't do anything with largely. So <laughs> the biggest thing they did was for the person that wasn't advertised. So the show started off with I thought just this dreadful segment. It was Ms. TV. It's going to list- be one of those shows, everybody. I'm not going to I'm not trying to be super negative, but I I hated this segment. They, uh, they list off all the legends and then they bring out the New Day who turn the tables and it's uh, their talk show, New Day Talks. And in their segment, they have brought the tea and they've got beef. And then we had to do like that. The stupid correct deal over and over and over again. Xavier Woods has a badge because he's the show's bailiff. Kofi's got his cue cards. They're asked about New Year's resolutions. Who would you like to go out for dinner with? Tatanka, who probably went wanted to go out for dinner by 9 o'clock tonight in the show. Miz says this has gone on long enough, which completely co-signed with. There's a cooking segment joke. Miz turns on his talking smack voice to get angry. And this all leads to Teddy Long coming out to announce Miz and the Morris and John Morrison will face the Undertaker when Adam Pierce informs him. Uh, no, he's uh, he never say never, according to Vince, but he's retired, uh, Teddy. And they make a tag match between these two. I'm sorry. I just thought like this just got off to such a bad start this raw i hated this segment you know i will say i i thought the teddy cameo was hilarious to me it was actually probably my favorite cameo of the whole show um doesn't really get that old you know him calling coming out to, and and announcing a match for the undertaker i thought that was pretty funny T- uh, teddy was fine the segment though was long <laughs> yes it was it you know the new day i they are really approaching a point now where i think they're for me, at least, they, they're they starting to get go away heat. You know, I know the gimmick is that they're supposed to be obnoxious. They're kind of like what, like, like Dumb and Dumber, like, you know, just just uh, annoying the, the, their captors. And at this point, it's like, I just I it's it's having the opposite effect for me. It's not endearing. I, I find Kofi really obnoxious in this segment. Yeah, they were they were all. It was just you're right, just trying to out obnoxious all of them, and it was just grating uh, to sit through. The Miz and Morrison versus Kingston and Woods. Uh, Kingston landed on his feet on a monkey flip attempt, and then starts twerking and did his own monkey flip to Morrison, who blasted it in, into the mat, hit the trust fall. Then they got the heat on Kingston for a long time. Woods gets the tag. Morrison had his feet on the ropes, which was stopped by Kingston on the floor, and Woods hit a shining wizard, pinning John Morrison in 13 minutes and 15 seconds. Good TV tag match. I thought Woods and Morrison both looked really good. And, um, you know, that's about it. You know, beyond that, it's like it's really difficult to get excited about another New Day, like, championship run or any sort of run with them. Like, I, I really, at this point, I'm just begging for any sort of evolution in character. If you count the Miz as a uh, 
as a title holder with the with the briefcase. This was our first of four matches way involving holders or champions that lost on tonight's show. Mm. Okay. So it was yeah. a theme for the night. So the the Miz TV segment, that was front and center. That was the most important information to get across at the beginning of tonight's show, along with the release of the H phone. Buried down the priorities. Did Alexa Bliss die last week? We find out no. Charlie asks, Randy, what was going through your mind last week when you held that burning match? He explained the voices told him to do it, but he couldn't do it because something in him has changed after facing the fiend. He says he showed restraint and compassion, and he hates himself for it. But this hate I have, now I don't have any boundaries. I'm capable of doing anything. Forget killing a man. I could embarrass a man that's got an ankle injury. And he can direct it onto someone else, and he's going to go for a walk, find some old friends, and remind people why he's the legend killer. So Alexa Bliss, who is conspicuous by her absence, is alive. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, what did we really expect, right? Like, what, any sort of lasting repercussion coming off of that scene last week? I, I think I at least expected some effort at an explanation. You know, instead, it was just a terrible cop-out out of last week's cliff cliffhanger. I don't even think you can really call it a cliffhanger if there was, like, no intent to deliver on, you know. No, like, there was no one that, like, came to save Alexa. There was nothing. There was no, like, footage after Raw went off the air. It was just, okay, this whole ring is full of gasoline. You lit a match, um, but your conscience kicked in. It was just, like, really, in hindsight, just an excuse to put on that, like, a f- shocking final image, right? For no other reason than to trick us into thinking we saw we might have seen something worthwhile. Um, so it's like, it's one of those things where they're banking on their audience to have such a short term memory that like you, you suckers, you'll watch everything anyway. You know, you'll get excited for this one week. We'll let you think that somebody got burned alive and then next week you're going to forget about it and you'll keep watching. So it, and look at me, I'm, I, I'm still watching. So, so maybe they're right, but it's just like, oh, what a, what a waste of my time last week. Are you at least convinced Randy Orton's the heel now? after this episode yes yes it could change next week to be fair like, seriously though but is the fiend supposed to be a baby face in all this well that that's that's usually the the opponent's uh role for the man who yeah. almost murdered your your valet angel garza they showed the footage of him winning the 24 7 title on the tiktok stream on new year's eve while he was hanging out with the new day and a garza is with Alicia Fox. It's blown off by her. Thanks for Ugh. arriving. Legend was, Alicia this Fox. This was the other weird, random pop culture reference of the show. Okay, so Angel Garza has his rose. He's about to give it to... He sees Alicia Fox, and he's like, Alicia Fox, I can't believe it. Look at my 24-7 title. Have you ever seen something so beautiful? Alicia Fox says, you know the guy who is uh, you know rolling down the hill with that skateboard drinking the... Juice with Fleetwood Mac. Angel Garza says, no. And Alicia Fox says, well, how do you know about things that are beautiful? And then she walks away. That was it. That was like, that was her involvement. And I I really can't understand for any reason why the whole thing was mentioned. Other than the fact that, you know, WWE wants to let everybody know, hey, we know this meme from two months ago. 
Like we're, <laughs> you know, the 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 ocean spray uh, Fleetwood Mac guy. Yeah, like we're we're cool, man. Do you, do you think that Vince McMahon just downloaded like Cardi B songs this week for the first time? <laughs> I'm just picturing Vince listening to. What is a wet? Oh, jeez. <laughs> so uh, then Angel moves on to Sergeant Slaughter, Mickey James, and the most ridiculous looking man in the Thunderdome tonight, Tatanka, in full garb, <laughs> just standing around, just chilling. And Mickey is given the rose. Slaughter smells the rose and calls Angel a maggot. Yeah, just a terrible sketch. I mean, if you have any sort of, like, I don't know, um, optimism for these, like, uh, nostalgic, uh, you know. Didn't you want to hear this shows? conversation? Like, what <laughs> what was the topic that Angel Garza was interrupting between Sergeant Slaughter, Tatanka, and Mickey James? At the very least, I think, like, when whenever you want to do something like this, you want to see some interesting interplay between, like, all the characters of the past and the possibilities that might exist, you know, with dream scenarios of having like whatever slaughter with like maybe like I don't know name an equivalent like maybe like a Lacey Evans or like <laughs> if you had the Forgotten Sons having him around you know cut a promo on them some sort of like some sort of scenario that makes sense given the gimmicks that are there these sketches like seem to indicate very surface level knowledge of these characters or at least like they don't care enough to like you know tell you even what who else was in this like. Tatanka, like no, no real kind of like she. He's Tatanka's just a sight gag. He's just a guy in like a big, you know, Native American headdress, and that's supposed to be it. Mickey James, I guess, somehow retired in the time that she, she we thought she got injured in that. Yeah, match, she was just she wrestling up. like a few months ago, and now she's in the legend role. So anyway, this this was the legend show. Breaking news, folks. AJ Styles' bodyguard, we've been pronouncing his name wrong, and the announcers let us know it is Amos. Amos is how you pronounce it, yeah. Not Omos. No, he's their Eric Marcotte. <laughs> Sorry, Marcotte. I love that they, like, dude, he's been on TV for weeks, for weeks, and, like, I'm just curious about these things. Like, not that it's so crazy, but what... What led to this realization? Like, did someone just say, hey, that's that's not how we were going to pronounce his name, and no one's noticed this? Or was it, you know what, almost sounds too close to Andrade Almas. I don't know. I have no idea. But what leads to this decision that we have to make this declaration that the pronunciation has to be altered? In this case, I would assume it would be the man himself. You know, like maybe, maybe he told somebody when he came up with like, you know, this name, he probably like did like everybody else. Here's a list of names that I want for myself. You pick. And then they put, pick this one and it's O-M-O-S. So how else do you really read it? Right. But O-M-O-S, O-M-O-S, whatever. Um, And then, you know, like if you're a new guy, you're back there, you don't really know kind of like, you know, what you're, how, how, how much you should really push. And a month in. He realizes, okay, like these guys are really behind me. Maybe I could speak up about correcting my name. It's, you know, little little baby steps. Do you know where him and Elias are going to end up having a a brawl? No. A moss pit. Mm. Right. Maybe a five. 
Maybe a five out of ten. Mm. Four. Moving on. Oh, yeah, chat room. I got uh, everything I wanted uh, in the new year. A new AJ Styles Elias match uh, coming off last week's barn burner. They went ten minutes. They wrestled uh, last week. They wrestled last week. Mm. I did not like this match at all. Um, it clearly reserved a piece of your memory. Styles got pressed onto the corner turnbuckle and knocked to the floor and then went for a phenomenal forearm but was caught with a flying knee. And then there was a head scissors that sent Elias into the corner. He hit a brain buster. AJ's leg was bothering him, but he got him up for the Styles clash, said F you, El Fantasmo, and he pinned him in 10 minutes and two seconds. I and, and AJ's in the rumble. AJ's in the Rumble. I, I didn't think this was that bad, you know? I, I think, you know, of course, AJ's AJ, but I actually really like Elias's added aggression lately. Feels like it kind of, like, turns him from just being a comedy guy to, like, more of a big powerhouse wrestler. And, uh, yeah, beyond that. We've learned a l- new lesson. When you get electrocuted, you turn babyface. That is a turn now in 2020-21. He's not a babyface. He's clearly a babyface here. How so? Well, he was... He's with, ja- he's with Jackson Riker. Well, he was clearly the book does the baby face in this match. How so? In the sense that he he was the he was playing the baby face role throughout this. It was like AJ who was the one who was doing all like the the heel tactics throughout. Well, this one I'm not really convinced, but yeah, maybe maybe this week you're right. All right. Well, that that's part of the fun now is like who is the baby face in this program? Yeah, shades of gray. <laughs> yeah. Jackson Riker got a guitar and went to swing it at AJ, which I will note is a, it, it would be a heel action. But Amos, who I guess took some some tips from Satoshi Kojima earlier this morning, kicked this guitar and just stared down Riker, who was just looking frightened. Mm-hmm. This looked uh, this was you know for a guy that you know doesn't do a whole lot. This was uh this was uh more than passable. Yeah, getting more and more physical. I mean, this just seems to be a continuation of this program. Amos versus Jackson Riker. I don't know if that would be the first guy I'd throw uh, Amos into a ring with on live television. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when what they have kind of scheduled for for Amos and you know potential in ring debut. But um, I, I'm liking him with AJ. I think it, it works. I think it's it's making him feel like a big deal, and uh, they are protecting him. Charlotte Flair declares herself for the Royal Rumble, and she's going to defy the odds just like she did last year. Um, Rick then walks out with Charlotte for the tag match, uh, which is still to come. But before that, Riddle hung out with the Big Show, who he said could maybe be the big bro, and then starts singing his theme. Riddle takes off, so Orton appears and notes how the Big Show can never compete again. Show questions that diagnosis, and Orton says, your career's over due to my punt kick, and then he puts his hands around the throat of the Big Show. So the Big Show just sits down, I'm not going to play your games, and Orton says, you don't have any guts, and by the end of the night, you as a viewer were left with the conclusion, I guess the guy didn't have any guts, he just took this, he got no reprieve later on, no comeback, Nothing. Just got bullied here by Randy Orton, and that was it. 
you know, all of this really seemed to indicate that they were building towards some sort of big culminating spot at the end of the show where the heel. Yeah, all the legends out on the stage. That's where I thought it was going to end. I thought it was going to end with like Orton getting involved and like the legends all like get a chance in there. Yeah. Otherwise, um, even for legends that they're no longer using, I'm, I, I, I really like I'm surprised that they kind of went this far with, you know, the. It's just a downer to make you feel like to crappy for these these legends like that you just put them in like the most unattractive light by just by just demeaning them to to such a degree i just i don't know there was no it was just the heat with like no comeback like they're not coming back next week yeah so maybe maybe it's at the at the rumble maybe they'll all they'll all return but, okay um we'll isolate that clip Oscar and Charlotte Flair versus Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce. This is when Evans and Royce call them the Serena and Venus Williams of WWE, that being Oscar and Charlotte. They are the standard of excellence. And Lacey has a trucker hat that reads Lacey the Legend. And they do their their arguing. And the announcers bring up that there were rumors that earlier today, Lacey Evans was getting a little too friendly with Ric Flair. Mm. It's the basis of this match. Yeah. Evans uh, started dancing around Rick, and then Charlotte slapped her. They had the advantage on Asuka for a long period. Charlotte hit a moonsault onto both Evans and Peyton Royce. Asuka came in with the Shining Wizard. There was a code breaker, natural selection to Peyton, but Evans broke up the cover. And then Evans is grabbing Rick by the tie, so Charlotte drop kicks her to the floor. Charlotte then ducks a spin kick from Peyton and then runs the ropes, and Ric Flair accidentally trips Charlotte, and Peyton pins her in 12 minutes and 32 seconds. W- was it meant to be an accident? Okay, this was pulled off really poorly. I think the idea was that it was supposed to be, like, Rick was maybe not looking and was supposed to, like, he was to believe he was tripping Peyton, and it was a legitimate mistake, but the way this came off was that, like, he intentionally tripped Charlotte, but Charlotte was furious after this and just dressed down Rick to such a degree that we, we had to embarrass Rick, which was his whole uh, utilization tonight by multiple people. Well, I watched the spot and I was like, Rick Flair is turning on his daughter. That's what that was. Everyone's thought like, that's the way it looked because like his back wasn't turned. It's looking just, at it. He looked yeah. exactly what he was doing. Like, I, I think, I, I thought he was pissed off at Charlotte for getting in the way of Lacey flirting with him because the man was clearly having having a good time. I don't know why they did the Lacey stuff. Like, okay, that's that's Charlotte's reason to be upset with Lacey, but it just so complicated everything in this match. It was I just thought it was really poorly executed and just left confusing afterwards. I thought the match itself was actually a good tag team match. Like Charlotte and Asuka are awesome together and they elevate any team that they face. I they ha- these men Peyton and Lacey wor- worked hard. Like you, oh, you can yeah. see, like the 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 gap in experience level between the two teams, obviously. But I, I think P- Peyton like works really hard, especially. They kept up really well at this like really fast pace that Asuka and Charlotte are are, are using for these tag matches. Mm-hmm. These matches are happening like far faster than what we usually see in the women's division, and they're very entertaining. Um, but this angle with Flair, I I think. There's nothing mess. wrong with like you know uh, what is it Lacey flirting with with Ric Flair. I think that that's actually kind of cute and adorable. But like something screwed up. Somebody screwed up here at the end, and it, it just kind of became a bit of a confusing thing. 
Do you think this gets followed up, or was this just done for the night? I I have to think so, don't you? Like, this feels like a pretty significant storyline of, like, Ric Flair and... I thought it was Ric Flair turning on on, on Charlotte, which is, like, a, a father turning on his daughter? Yeah, that should be followed up on. No, and then, I mean, and then afterwards, Charlotte is just, like, staring, like, giving Rick, like, the death stare, and tells Rick to stay out of her business. Do you understand? Back up. I mean, Charlotte was just like totally dislikable here by the end of this segment. Even if justified that her father totally messed up. Um, maybe, maybe she was upset that Rick didn't pull this off as effectively as they had gone over earlier. So I came, I came out of this match thinking, oh, okay, Flair's going to like side with Lacey now as like a permanent thing because he turned on his daughter to, to join with the person he's, who's flirting with him. But um, okay. If it, if it leads somewhere, it's probably uh, not that. I think you're probably right. I think Flair just probably screwed up the spot, and this was just meant to be like a mistake. And he's supposed to be sort of like senile old man who can't even like cheat properly. Um, but what what is like the okay? Let's say it was pulled off properly, and like Charlotte does the whole post match thing. I mean, is this designed like this is Charlotte being? Change to a heel at this point while teaming with Oscar. Like what? What was the objective here? Like Charlotte clearly comes off as the heel by the end of this, and that has to have been what was intended. I would say that there would be follow up with Flair, but then seeing like Flair's segment with Orton and the result, the lack of result of that at the end of the night, this might have just been a one time thing. You know, just a I don't know. Well, we will see if we are we are corrected next week if if they do something with with Rick Flair and Lacey Evans. Drew McIntyre is hanging out with his buddy Sheamus. <laughs> Sheamus is just an afterthought on this show. He tells Drew to give Keith Lee an extra kick in the head, and then Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan appear. Hulk Hogan is Sheamus's number one fan. Sheamus, I mean, the look of bullshit was just permeating across this man's uh, head. He's so excited for the title match. Hulk is proud of Drew for all he's done this year. And you remind me of myself. And then Drew says, well, does Seamus remind you of Jimmy with his big mouth? And Jimmy and Seamus screw off. And then Drew and Hogan do a Hulk Hogan promo for the camera, which was kind of fun. Yeah, a segment between sort of your your franchise champion of the present and your maybe one of your most well-known franchise guys of the past. I, If you're a fan of Hogan and you still see him as a star, I think you'll enjoy the segment. If you don't like Hulk Hogan, then this is probably just uncomfortable. Well, that's, um, that's kind of where Hulk Hogan is. Like he does, he Hulk Hogan, like we have seen when they brought him back, he has meant something numbers wise, but I will say like on the show, he certainly doesn't feel like a, the star that uh, he would have been, I would say, even 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, he's like, <laughs> was that when all that stuff came out? No, it was, uh, that that was like 2014 is when, okay. 2014, yeah. I think, 2015, five, six years ago. Being a Hogan, like seeing Hulk Hogan on my TV screen, it, yeah, it was very different 10 years ago to like now. Um, now you see him and you just can't help but think about all the all the controversy surrounding him and i just it's hard for me to see him in this like kind of heroic light at all 
Bobby Lashley versus Riddle was our non-title match. Riddle jumped him before the bell, was showing a lot of aggression, even sent Lashley over the top rope, which they noted if that happened in the Rumble, he'd be out. Uh, Lashley caught a kick and landed a spinning back elbow, and then Riddle lands on his feet, hits a PK, a Broton for a one count, a final flash for a one count, and then the floating bro gets stopped. Lashley hits a Dominator and applies the Hurt Lock, and with the referee distracted, Riddle taps out, so Lashley lets go of the hold. Rookie mistake. You never let go until the referee steps in, and the referee missed the tap. Riddle got his a 24-7 title signature roll-up and pinned Lashley in 906. I couldn't fucking believe this, dude. Like, <laughs> this was... It wouldn't be a WWE Raw without some sort of, like, nonsensical fucked-up finish that just boggles your mind. And, you know, I guess this was the biggest one of the whole show. This was not just... <laughs> it was not just your babyface submission expert tapping out. It was your babyface submission expert tapping out and then continuing the match as if he didn't ch- tap out. <laughs> like, essentially, he's he's cheated here. He cheated here to win, taking the coward's way out. And I think it would be one thing if this was, like, Eddie Guerrero doing this thing. Like, Eddie Gu- Guerrero was always portrayed as sort of, like, I don't know, like, almost like a Robin Hood type, you know, who, like, who does bad things, but he does that bad things for for a noble cause. He's cheating for for using his brains. You could admire him. Riddle has never been portrayed as this person. In fact, he's kind of portrayed as the opposite of a guy who uses his brains. And now he's not just an idiot. He also isn't that great of a wrestler either who needs to cheat to win. So I I can't believe, like, of all the people on your roster to give a finish like that to that you would do this with Matt Riddle. In fairness, they also did this with their heel submission expert on NXT with Timothy Thatcher. Tapping out to... But he's Kishida. a heel, though. That at least makes sense, okay? A guy who claims that he's a submission expert, but actually isn't? I can at least buy into that. Matt Riddle has never been portrayed as that person. Plus, I'm supposed to like him. Well, it, it's hard to like this guy based on... I, I guess it's... Uh, depending on your, your appreciation of his uh, of his backstage segments. That's the uh, the likability factor, but... Yeah, this but was a you, you you don't book him to tap cleanly like like in a in a visionary tap out like what the fuck. Well, this probably leads to a rumble match, I guess, for the title. Uh assuming great way to book this this match. Like a million ways you could have gotten to that match. How about Matt Riddle pinning the guy in a non-title match? Wait, we can go through all the baby faces on this show. It's um it's a sliding scale of uh likable noble baby faces. Our, our most <laughs> potentially the top babyface on the show, besides Drew McIntyre, could be the Fiend. <laughs> so let's let's temper our expectations here when it comes to uh, respectability. Uh, then we had just the saddest segment, and it wasn't Ricochet who was just down in the dumps talking to Mark Henry about his career. He leaves, and Mark Henry is on one of those scooters. So I guess he's got some kind of leg or ankle injury. And Randy appears, and you just know he's just gonna just endlessly mock this poor guy. Orton declares to Mark Henry, he's entering the Royal Rumble. I was waiting for Mark Henry to shrug his shoulders. Okay. Points out the injury and says, it's likely you'll never compete in a Royal Rumble again. Mocks his scooter. And then Orton says, I owe you a lot of receipts, but perhaps I'll give you a pass. 
if you pedal your ass out of here. So Mark Henry knocked down the scooter. He stood up on two feet and he said, listen, you piece of garbage. I've seen you walk around here showing no respect. Well, yeah, I might not have a lot of future matches left in me, but I've got one fist and it's got the words RKO written on it. And I'm about to introduce it to you up close, you piece of shit. And everyone went nuts. It was this awesome moment where Mark Henry, great promo, stood up to the heel Randy Orton. Instead, Mark Henry pedaled away on his scooter. I was waiting for him to cry. This was just the saddest, saddest scene. And then we never saw Mark Henry. He showed up for the main event to watch it. Again, like everything that you would assume coming off of these segments were that it was like, you know, old man getting bullied and the bully eventually will get his comeuppance. Again, they could be setting something up for a, a future, you know, thing down the line where Mark Henry comes in and just like, I don't know, direct somebody to deliver a world's strongest slam or something like that. But something tells me that this might have been it, which would be, uh, yeah, really sad. Do you know if, if Vince McMahon directed Home Alone, it would have been Harry and Marv standing triumphantly over a fallen Kevin McAllister who would have been outsmarted by the crooks and taken hostage. That would have been Home Alone. Merry Christmas as the mother comes home to an empty house with Kevin missing. I think it would have been Harry and Marv berating Kevin McAllister for two hours, talking about how your family doesn't love you, your parents forgot about you because nobody cares. And the family never shows up. They never call. They're good. (laughs) (laughs) It would just be a verbal destruction. And then they would send him through a table. Man. It's like... Anyway. So, our latest legend killed verbally. MVPs with Lashley, they state there was no controversy in the match. They were robbed of a victory. Heels are supposed to lie or bend the truth. This was spot on. (laughs) They were robbed of a victory. Riddle quit, and Lashley is going to punish him. By the end of this, you were like... I hope Lashley gets his revenge because he got fucked here. Yeah, completely. I, I, this booking <laughs> was perplexing. Mandy Rose comes down. She gets jumped by Shayna Baszler. And then Dana Brooke runs down and she takes her spot in the match. They had all of 39 seconds of which Dana sent Baszler to the floor. Baszler comes back with the Kirafuda clutch. But Dana turns it into a cradle and catches her in 39 seconds But Baszler doesn't let go of the hold, and then Rose appears out of nowhere with a flying knee and drops Shayna Baszler. So they did come back after being laid out one-on-two last week. The two laid out the one this week. Yes, right. So a a bit of Nia Jax is just, like, tapped out of this program. Yeah, unfortunately, because it seems like, I mean, Shayna is the one taking all all the falls here, but... um. Well, what do we get here? A tag team match? Is that it? Sure. Yeah, okay. Ric Flair was hanging out with IRS and Molly Holly. Rick was asking uh Mike, uh where's your where's your son? Is he coming back? Is he good? Was he lit on fire? <laughs> Randy walks up and suggests that Rick 
walk Randy down the aisle one more time tonight, but don't screw up like you did your match with your daughter. Flair says, I will never walk down the aisle with you again. Randy says, your daughter is ten times the competitor you ever were. I look at you. You look like Ric Flair. You talk like Ric Flair, but you're not the man that taught me nearly everything. You're just a pathetic old man. And Ric Flair, the legendary figure, stood there and took it. I think again, if like if there's some payoff to come, there wasn't. There was no payoff. We can say this now in hindsight. I'm saying if if there is to come either after this episode or yes, if there was at the end of this episode, I think that all of these like backstage interactions were actually really good. Like as a way to make you hate Randy Orton, I thought they were effective. But the last time Rick was in a room with this guy, he had the night vision goggles and apparently took out Rick with a baseball bat. That wasn't even like a thought here. We just went back to multiple injury angles ago. It was like the punt that we'll focus on the punt. We'll forget about the night vision goggle attack. Well, listen, I mean, take some time off. All uh, of these guys on the show. Big show is in that room. I guess we didn't have Christian or Sean. They're still out from the night vision attack. And maybe it was probably off off screen. You know, a lot's happened since then. Keith Lee is preparing for his title match. Matt Riddle wishes him luck. Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy. No Ric Flair out here. Randy used a thumb to the eye and got the heat on Jeff. He was stomping him. And then Hardy hits a neck breaker, climbs up, but Orton rolls out. There's a clothesline off the apron. That sets up the commercial. Afterwards, Randy Orton is in control of Jeff Hardy. He puts his fingers through Jeff's earlobes and just pulls. This was more painful to watch than the Miz TV segment. This was so gross. I cannot watch these things, but these two, they get together and Jeff's like, dude, you can pull these as much as you want. No worries. And Randy's like, cool. (laughs) This is just, oh, visually, I mean, I guess it's a great spot to use because it's repulsive. Oh, this is way, way better than like the tease of um, Randy Orton burning Alexa Bliss last week. I think this should have been the cliffhanger. These two have a special chemistry where like they could just, you know, the earlobe, uh, um, the earlobe uh, body part attacking, I, I think is great. I think nobody does it quite like Randy Orton whenever they've tried. Um, I love the spot. They also noted that these two have been going at it in WWE for 20 years, which is not far off. It's like 19, but that's, that's really something. Oh yeah. They've been around for a long time. Both of them. I mean, some gaps in there for Jeff Hardy, but nonetheless, Lucha house parties in the back and they run into Molina and they did the Lucha chant, a perfect uh, utilization of Molina here. I why? What's what's the connection? What she's Hispanic? That's it. That seemed to be the connection here. <laughs> and they chanted Lucha together. Uh, that the was real, the, obviously the real reunion would have been Molina and Morrison. Uh, well, there was no interaction between those two on this show. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander versus Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik. MVPs on commentary. Uh, they did promote New Year's Evil 
uh, and the fact that Grand Metalik is challenging for the Cruiserweight title on Wednesday. I thought that telegraphed that Metalik was eating the fall, but not the case. Uh, there's a handspring stunner by Dorado. Uh, Benjamin attacks. Then the Hurt Business start arguing, and it leads to Dorado covering Benjamin with a cradle in 254, our latest champions to lose on this show. MVP is livid, tells Cedric and Shelton to get on the same page. Alexander says, I wasn't the one that got pinned. So we are continuing the dissension among Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. And I guess that this should naturally lead to a title match for the Lucha House Party. Maybe with the their new valet, Molina. You know, I wouldn't mind that at all. But uh, yeah, it seems like it. It's... Uh... It's 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 a story of dissent between members of the Hurt Business. And the Hurt Business going uh, 0 for 2 on the show. Yes. Tori Wilson is with the returning Nikki Cross catching up on, I don't know what, Angel Garza offers Tori a rose. And instead of just accepting this rose, no, she says, you know what? I invited Cardi B, Kylie Jenner. And Ariana Grande to Raw. Of course, these big celebrities did not show up at Raw. Who would have thought such a stupid idea? So Angel Garza is sent to go give the rose to Cardi B. But it's a trap. And he goes into a dark room containing the boogeyman, Marty Wright. And he runs out scared to get pinned by R-Truth. And then to end it off, way you got your big... Your big spot of the show, Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons, of course, yes. Um, they just happen to have this kind of like Rolodex of guys always on call. And for some reason, Boogeyman is always like at that front of that list. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's an easy sight gag. And, uh, and they love to revisit it. Yeah, he looks, he still very much looks the part. I mean, you know, you can always count on him to make the worm eating like look really visually stunning so yeah okay it was like it's, was it's great much- that your the, the majority of your audience is over 50 because they they might remember the brief time the boogeyman was here because i feel I, like more people know boogeyman from like these the cameos like cameo totally. appearances than anything else and same with ron simmons at this point you know how much of the audience would have really kind of been around for uh, I, I, well wwe's audience time. plenty when you yeah, look at the true. the median age uh, that are watching, but it was like you could almost program these sort of like like Legends Nights into a video game, and you could definitely <laughs> expect you know a boogeyman appearance. You could expect, um, I don't know, IRS now at this point in the background. You can probably paint Jeff Jarrett there sitting there, who didn't even like have a proper segment. You can, um, of course, you know, have a Ron Simmons dam to end it all as well. Final segment, all the legends are brought out to sit around the campfire and watch the WWE title match, including our first appearances of Booker T and Jeff Jarrett, who are out there. Um, Drew McIntyre, Keith Lee for the WWE title. Long match. It got uh, two commercial breaks, uh, breaking it up. The beginning part is Lee overpowering Drew, including a pounce that sends Drew over the barricade, which, I mean, he got right over this thing. It was very impressive. Lee is dominating. Drew fights back. He's favoring his ribs, but manages a belly-to-belly suplex. Lee gets out of the way of a Claymore and then tries to lift him up for the powerbomb, but can't. 
And it ends with Lee being taken off the apron and powerbombed through the desk uh, for our next commercial. It all builds up to uh, Drew hitting the future shock. And then Keith Lee gets Drew on top and hits a one-man Spanish fly. This has to be the most impressive thing Keith Lee's been allowed to do since being moved up to Raw. Uh, Only gets a two-count. Drew comes back with a jackknife cover. Kick out. The Claymore is blocked. Uh, This is when Keith Lee goes for the deadlift, but it's stopped, and Drew hits the Claymore in 21 minutes and 13 seconds, and the two bump fists afterwards, showing their mutual respect. I thought a really good match, Um, and maybe you got to see kind of like Keith Lee be a bit more Keith Lee than uh, many of his recent matches. Um, A portion of it, yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, I can't... Man, I, w- I feel like I should be way more excited, even like after a match like that. But for, for whatever reason, it just feels like it's um, I don't really see that much in like Keith Lee's future. Like this, this is just kind of his role at the moment, isn't it? You know, maybe the headlining the occasional TV main event. Um, and I guess maybe eventually transitioning to like an IC level or US title level role that that seems to be the case for him. So much of him is about like, the spectacular things he can do for a man of his size. And I think it's just like beyond like that one man Spanish fly spot that, I mean, that's, that's to me the most significant thing they've like been able to showcase with him. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think is going to really set him apart as his own unique identity. Uh, But so much of that, I, I just think like the, he's got certain restrictions that he can't go out and do, you know, the, the kind of match that got him over in the first place. And you know, doing that kind of textbook WWE kind of match layout, I, I, you know, he doesn't excel in that that form yet. Yeah, I mean, they clearly see enough potential in him though to continue to put him in in these sort of, I guess, roles. And I think, I, I, I don't think there's something inherently wrong in like telling somebody to pull pull it back a little bit so that you could save a big spot like a Spanish fly like this for, you know, a right opportunity to really maximize your value out of it. Um, is it, is it working now? Is he over to the audience or is he just kind of another guy is my question. Well, it's the combination of the fact that it's, it's not like, okay, you take away so much of that, that awe inspiring, you know, offense that he can do for such a big guy it's not like it's offset by the fact that they're giving this guy regular promo time. It's not like he's getting like these vignettes or, or other aspects that are going to get the character part over. He's so reliant on like the in-ring and that's, that's not an avenue he can, you know, he can go out there and and do like a full showcase of what he can do. So it's, I think it's been a really tough call up for this guy. We've also seen now he's like kind of being firmly established as sort of like second fiddle to Drew McIntyre. He's kind of in that mix where he can like beat, I guess, you know, Matt Riddle, Sheamus in a three-way, but can't beat Drew. Um, probably, you know, you, you know what you could do? What? Turn him heel. I thought that was going to happen at the end of this match. Okay, he like he challenged Drew for the title, lost. Well, where else do you go with him? Uh, I could definitely see him doing that. I hope he gets like kind of a monster role in the Rumble. I think that would be helpful mm-hmm. for him. I don't see him winning the Rumble, but being kind of that big guy to get a bunch of eliminations, um, that's a match that could be tailored around him. So we have a few minutes left. 
The legends are giving a standing ovation. I wonder if they thought it was the match of the day. I bet you Tatanka was like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. It was, uh, I saw some really great wrestling today. Bill Goldberg's music plays, and out comes Goldberg. And he gets into the ring. He had, there was some kind of miscommunication here because he was waiting for a mic to be handed to him, and he had to begrudgingly accept the microphone from Drew McIntyre. I think it was probably him hitting his head on the locker again backstage. You see that little, like, every time he comes out, he's got a little red spot on his forehead. God, that's, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, they were racing against the clock here, and it was very evident. Like, they were trying to get in a lot in a very small window of time. He puts over Drew as having the size, the speed, and the athleticism. But what you don't have is respect you look at these legends as being washed up and you think you're better than them in your prime than they were in theirs and they pose a threat to you or that they don't pose a threat to you. Well, that would be wrong. So this felt so weird. It felt like Goldberg was cutting a promo on Randy Orton's character tonight. Oh, completely. Like, it, was it was so out of left field. I was like, man, did Goldberg hit his head so hard on the locker that he thought he was talking to Randy Orton out here? <laughs> like, it was totally incongruent with, like... Like, literally, the, the, this show was built up for Orton to be out there as if he was going to attack the legend. And then he's confronted by Goldberg, who cuts this promo. Like, that literally, made, this was tailor-made for Orton to be the one confronted. It would have made total sense. You know, you have the the Randy Orton bullying all these legends who are defenseless. And so you have a legend who can clearly defend himself in Randy Orton going up against, or sorry, in Goldberg going up against Randy Orton. And instead, it's like Goldberg coming out, cutting this promo about disrespecting legends to Drew McIntyre, who's shown nothing but respect to legends. And yeah, he like it, it healed Goldberg, which is not the role you want to see him in for this kind of thing. Like, honestly, like as we're going over it now, like, I think like it would have been like... I guess you're going to do the fiend and, and and Randy like that's your feud you're going to go with, but but yeah, why it, why do all those like skits backstage with Orton to to what to what aim? Like it's not like the fiend came and saved Rick. No, Ferrer. it was those were pointless tonight. Other than just degrading the legends, like there was no upside to it. I mean, like if if Randy had been in the spot at the end, and finally it's like one of the legends stands up to the guy on behalf of everyone. It's like okay, there was a reason for this. Uh, but instead, it's this promo on Drew, of all people, who says he respects all the legends. And then Drew says, I'm not f – uh, Goldberg challenges him to a match at the Royal Rumble. And Drew says, remember th where you were 20 years ago. I'm not fighting that, Goldberg. You're not that guy anymore. This is like fighting my dad, mate. It's like, wow. So let's – Let's forget the fact that that Goldberg has very obvious limitations. He is older. He's a lot slower. And he's not the guy of 20 years ago. So why are we going to shine a spotlight on that? And I just thought this was like the most bizarre back and forth to set up a match that they seem to do their best to just minimize it. It, it was weird that that was the closing line of the segment and it makes me wonder because they were so short on time by the end oh yeah they, they, they were like cutting out like the graphic was coming up as drew was still mid-sentence so i imagine they were just right against the clock so it just makes you wonder what what else was supposed to be in this promo that might have kind of made justified like some of the some of the, those lines i i like 
you can't hide the fact that this is an older Goldberg. Like it's like you're telling the story of you know a. Uh, like old man Goldberg at this point, you know, somebody who's advanced in, in age but, and you can't, hide but that. just after establishing that whole thing about drew respecting the legends. And then he's calling this guy like fighting my dad. It's just, to me, it's like, it's not the direction you want to make this, this match be like, here's drew in the prime of his career, picking on an old man. I don't think he's picking on him. The, the old man was picking on, on drew and, and, and drew cutting that promo in response to Goldberg actually kind of makes sense. If Goldberg is criticizing Drew for not taking Legend seriously, it's just that they never showed that at all prior to this segment. There was no segment. Like, what is it? What what was Drew's segment with the Legend? It was Hulk Hogan. Hogan. Was that him disrespecting Hogan in any way? No, it was him being, he was thanking him for, you know, the honor of Hogan comparing him to himself. Yeah, a really kind of weird um edition of raw when you stop and think about what's what the stories were that they're, they're trying to build throughout the entire show um and, and kind of puts the whole Seamus thing on the back burner it does you're right so they're not going to Seamus and Drew right now and i think this really open uh, this is more notable of the fact that this would uh take out Goldberg in terms of like your wrestlemania plans uh for roman to me it's like unless you're Unless you're doing Drew, like it would seem the prime candidate now would be Brian. Yes, it would. Yeah. I mean, I thought for sure it would be Goldberg saying, hey, I, I'm gearing for that title. So I'm going to enter the Rumble to earn a shot. You know, like he's a bit more interesting to me as a Rumble competitor than somebody just going for a championship match right now. But which, you know, you know is not going to be a Drew McIntyre pay-per-view match like this is not going to go 10 minutes. So the fact that he's, you know, challenging Drew for the belt right now will suggest that Drew's going to have somebody else at Mania instead of Goldberg. Um, <laughs> Unless, yeah. I mean, last year it was the idea of doing the Fiend and Goldberg. And when that match was booked, it was not with the intent that Goldberg was winning the title, but they ended up making that decision later and they went with Goldberg. Like, who's to say they don't have that, that, that thought right there of, you know, you've, you flipped the title if Drew has nobody. What were your thoughts on Legends Night? I thought very disappointing. Um, I'm glad they at least shot an angle at the end of the show and didn't just do nothing at the end of this. Um, I wasn't crazy about the execution of it. Um, but in terms of the Legends, like I just thought it was a real poor use of them. The, just just felt like very trivial cameos and even the important ones. Like the Ric Flair thing was a mess to me. Hogan didn't, you know, wasn't of any significance. The others were just... A background, and I just thought the Randy Orton thing led nowhere, and it only just kind of, I, I think it just left your audience feeling, like, depressed. It's like, man, this is like, if you tuned in because the legends were some kind of a, a draw for you, and you're you're banking on a bit of nostalgia, it's just kind of, like, crushing on that nostalgia, where, they, like, they just get run down, and they feel like a shell of their former selves. So, I, I can't say, like, this was um, a great edition of Raw. Yeah, beyond the things that you mentioned, some of the booking on this show was really strange. I still don't understand why you'd have Matt Riddle tap um, and then cheat to win, basically. I don't understand the whole Ric Flair, Charlotte thing that they were attempting there. Something something went wrong. I would say, like, if you're just looking at, like, bell-to-bell action, I thought there was actually a lot of it. And again, you, like... 
the the roster is so talented that when you just kind of leave them to wrestle, the wrestling is typically like very good. It's just all the dressing around it, the storylines, the promos, the backstage skits that are just like pretty awful. And I thought this this episode was like had all that negative, like bad stuff on full display. Uh, where do you want to go next? Hey, let's go to the forum. And then uh, if anybody in the chat room right now has anything to say about this edition of Raw, you can raise your hand and I'll get to your call. Uh, otherwise, let's uh, go to some feedback here. Tonight's Raw got a 3.08 out of 10. Rich from East Selkirk. Tuned in for the first time to Raw in seven months, hoping for the best, got the H-phone joke, and immediately left. Taking in Wrestle Kingdom instead. Okay, we go to Kate from Montreal, who says, The most surprising thing about Raw tonight was how good the main event was. I knew that the two men could have a great match, but, but I felt like this exceeded expectations for TV. Almost makes me think that they could have chosen to go back to that pairing for the Rumble. Other than that, the show was pretty cringe. I wonder how Mickey James feels being moved to the Legends category while MVP, six years her senior, is still very much active. Hey, Alicia Fox is in the Legends category. Yeah, age has nothing to do with it. It's it's more so um, whether or not they're active competitors. And with Mickey, I'm, I'm really unsure. Anyway, let, let's go to our uh, phone call here. Let's go to Hanzi. Hanzi. You're on the line. What's going on? What's up, man? Uh, well, the, the the show was a bust from the get when they didn't have Carlito make a cameo. You know, it's you know, I just think Carlito would have been a game changer. No, no, I'm just uh, listen. Um, I I I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't mind the show. I mean, I guess because when you're on Twitter and you're doing live tweeting, it kind of like helps take away like. Um, like some of like you know the boredom away from it because like at least there's people cracking jokes like about the Hogan stuff and I don't know if you guys uh, it's been on your radar but Cardi Cardi B got but he got bombarded with messages um talking about her being mentioned and now she's like addressing it and she's like going over all like her favorite wrestlers it's like the, it's the funniest tweets I've ever seen in my life and I'm just going over like laughing while I'm watching this. But um no wow well, like if that was the strategy congratulations got yeah, no, for, to tweet about you yo yo by the way Paul like I I saw one good pun that it would have I it wasn't from you but it, I thought I thought of you I thought you would have probably done this but somebody wrote oh Grand Metal League beat Miz and he has a cruiserweight title shot this Wednesday you can say he's having a great Grand Metal Week wonderful Hansi. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yo, but yo, before I go, yo, I just wanted to say that um, uh, I I kind of got to disagree with something you guys said on SmackDown, and it, I, I and maybe I'm wrong, whatever, right? But uh, that assistant from Carmella, uh, uh, the Somalier dude, he, I think that guy in 2021 is going to be a standout like side character. I think even more so than Ellsworth. I I already like his uh his uh, um his, his uh, interactions with Sasha. And I don't know, man. I I just, I just I could be wrong though. But like maybe, and maybe you guys are right. But I just thought uh, like this guy is really, really hilarious. I, he's hitting out of the park for me. I, I was impressed with like the the flips and all of that. And I'll I'll leave you guys with that. Um, but uh, thank you for a good show. And I'm looking forward to listening to you guys live on Wednesdays and Fridays and Mondays. This is a cool feature. It'll kind of keep me keep my mind busy and not get involved with the Periscope stuff because that just gets me in more trouble and all that. So I, I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Hansi. We always oh. appreciate it. 
and stay out of trouble. Yeah, stay off a of Periscope. All right, uh, uh, shall we continue here? Back to the forum we go, and we've got Adam from the street. Whenever Goldberg comes out, I'm only thinking one thing. Did he do it? Did he do it? By taking a quick look at his forehead, tonight you can tell that, yes, this man still hits his head on a locker before going through the curtain. Ouch. I noticed that, too. We got to know one from Vaughn who says, So, funny story, I was watching Raw for the most part by myself, but around 10.55, my dad, who only watches AEW with me, was fortunate enough to catch the final five minutes or so, and his verbal reaction to Goldberg coming out and challenging Drew had me dying of laughter. He was not too impressed. For the rest of the show, it felt like a standard episode, nothing really good with some random cameos from Legends. Question, in kayfabe, why wasn't Retribution wrecking havoc all night long? I feel like they'd love the opportunity to mess with the alumni. Well, Randy Orton got there before them all. They all beat Ricochet, so you know what? They're they're done. They're good. I think Retribution's really, you know, um, really been humbled over the past month or so. I think they realized, hey, we've kind of bitten off a bit more than we can chew. Let's work on Ricochet first, and then we'll work our way up to Mark Henry. Next is uh, Muggin. Tonight proved one thing. Keith Lee's going to be just fine. He got a chance to shine against Drew McIntyre in a pay-per-view level TV match. The result was never in doubt, and they've shown great chemistry. And then came Goldberg. The wounds from Super Showdown are still pretty fresh, and I fear that Drew's going to get fed to him. It boggles my mind that Mickey James is labeled a legend when she's an active performer. Will Drew get fed to Goldberg? I think that would be a very bad idea. That one's harder for me to see. Man, another Goldberg? Like, no, no. I mean, it's possible, sure, but it's harder for me to see. Ben from Vancouver says, My God, this show is pathetic. Three sets of champions pinned, stale rematches that no one asked for, and all the legends trotted out to read poorly scripted lines with zero en- enthusiasm. Nice usage of Baszler, too. She should just go back to the vampire gimmick at this point. And why should I cheer for Riddle? He's annoying, he attacked Lashley before the bell, and cheated to win. What a hero. What is the status of Aleister Black? Alistair Black, I don't know what's up with him. He's, you know, it's he's not the only one. Like, there's several who have just, like, disappeared. Um, Lars Sullivan would be another one that was out. I would have said Nikki Cross up until today. She's been off for a while. So I don't know specifically what um, the status is of Alistair Black. He could be just there and they don't have any ideas for him. Um, it's not uncommon that sometimes talent are off TV and then they reintroduce them in the Rumble. But, you know, Alistair Black, I mean, he was... You know, after that Owens thing that didn't go really anywhere, he's just kind of fallen to the wayside, which is unfortunate. He was, you know, at one time, like, clicking to me pretty well. To me, he's still, like, somebody who, man, I I hope they realize how much they screwed him up over the past year. And I hope that they're keeping him away because they want to reintroduce him the right way uh, on SmackDown or maybe even possibly NXT, you know, like because you can't send everyone back to NXT. <laughs> I know, but he is a guy who would actually make a difference. I think, you know, in NXT, uh, it would be a great way to kind of rehab him after a pretty unspectacular one run on the main roster, but um, main roster, you know, on SmackDown, like given the right push, right character, I think he, there's still plenty for him to do. And the last word goes to Aaron from Brampton. 
Like I do with most episodes of Raw, I usually leave it on in the background while I get other things done. Tonight I watched a bit more than usual, and it seemed like a fun episode. There was nothing that made me overly angry. As for Goldberg, I don't see him beating Drew for the title the way that he beat The Fiend. Drew is the clear-cut top guy on Raw, and he'll probably figure into mania plans with the title. With that being said, I'm excited to see him in the buffer feud with Goldberg. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in to this uh, this brand new live edition of Rewind a Raw. Was it different doing this live? Not that different. <laughs> Not that different. Maybe we have a few people kind of watching us. That that's sort of the only difference. But otherwise, the show is pretty much exactly the same. So, um, yeah, if you enjoy it, um, you might want to check it out live. Otherwise, keep listening to it for free, as most people do. So last question, You're, are you expecting uh, Kota Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi in the last two matches to be standing strong with their championships? Yes. You? I, I certainly think Hiromu's winning the title. I would, if it was me, yes, Abushi is definitely winning this match. But I also, like, I was thinking about this today, that they have also set up so many babyface challengers if Jay White were to come out of this, you have the automatic screwing of Kota Ibushi in some form or fashion. You have both Okada and Tanahashi with big wins on the first night. Um, plus you have Naito who has that, that outstanding issue with Jay White and you have all the big baby faces plugged in for a Jay White heel run. So if Jay White wins this title, I think a lot of people will be upset, but it won't, it won't shock me, but I do think it would be not my call to have Abushi have a one one night title reign. I feel like you can have those moments, you know, further down the line. Um, I, I think you know, ending a, a Wrestle Kingdom we, uh, weekend or at least like two day event, especially in a year that I think you know everybody where everybody just needs that big heroic moment at the end. I don't think this would be the year to you to do it, and especially if you're Kota Abushi, you know, having. One, Final being a finalist in three G1s now and still coming up short at the end of it all, I think that would be a little too much. So it's hard for me to picture like any result other than Kota Ibushi ascending to God. It should be Ibushi. Like, I, I just think that's your strongest star coming out of this as your champion. Like, that is what I think would be the strongest thing going forward is Ibushi with the double championship and the new poster boy exactly know, like it's it's really the crowning whereas jay white would be like the latest heel in that role you have lots of time with jay but you just look at like just looking at that first night it's like man there there were some big baby face wins coming out of that and that's not to say you can't do those matches with, with a bushi like that that's fine you can do that dynamic in new japan it's not that that difficult but uh wh- where's kind of your interest in in night two now that you know the matches i'm interested I'm I'm interested. Uh, I, you know, as I talked about on the preview, it's it's uh, mainly in. I really want to see Shingo Takagi in a singles match at Wrestle Kingdom. Him and Jeff Cobb uh, is is a match I'm really looking forward to. I think Taiji Ishimori and Hiromu Takahashi will be great. I mean, Jay Waikota Bushi. I think it, it, it may, my interest it, it mainly lies in in seeing what Kota Bushi you know can what kind of story he can tell. Uh, and what kind of story Jay can tell too in that scenario? It's a Wrestle Kingdom main event. It's ending the entire uh, two night event. So uh, I'm just hoping for maybe you know fewer Bullet Club shenanigans, but they are to be expected as well. 
All right. So that will be up for Cafe members on Tuesday. And then we will be back with Rewinded Dynamite on Wednesday night following that show from Daily's Place. Thank you to everybody that tuned in live or downloaded the show afterwards. We appreciate all of our listeners very much. Uh, Enjoy Wrestle Kingdom if you're watching it. And we will speak with you on Tuesday.